0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's com slash Wondery. Welcome to Episode 110 with my return guest, Greg Barrett. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. 90 minutes of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions and past traumas to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com, and uh, there's all kinds of stuff there that uh, you can get involved in. There's a forum. There's uh, about 10 different surveys that you can take that help me get to know you guys and... Uh, you can also hear, you know, what, what other listeners are, are are like. As you know, I read a lot of those survey responses on the show, um, but I encourage you to go there and uh, and keep taking them because um, it's uh, very enlightening, and uh, I really, really enjoy getting to know you guys and what your thoughts and feelings are and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can also sign up for my newsletter there. And if you happen to live in Portland, um, I you, you may be hearing this after... Uh, It's over, but if you're catching this podcast right as it goes up um, tonight, Friday, uh, April 19th and Saturday, April 20th, I am doing the uh, Portland uh, Bridgetown Comedy Festival and um, go to their website for more information. But uh, we're doing a live mental illness happy hour show Saturday afternoon at two o'clock at the Tabor uh, Theater. So if you can come join us for that, that would be cool. And I'm nervous about it. I'm really nervous. Um, I've never done a live version of this show. And the, the negative voice in my brain is just having a fucking field day. That, oh, you're going to be unprepared. You've you've already blown it. You should have prepared more than you have. It's You you have no right being in a comedy festival with this podcast. And on and on and on and on. And on. Um it's it that it, one of the hardest things about being crazy is knowing when you're being crazy or knowing when it's it's reality um, A good lit, litmus test for me and how I'm feeling is the the manner in which I play hockey I play hockey ice hockey a couple of times a week and um, last night I I had a game and my team is not good this season we lost a couple of good players and we played a team that's pretty stacked with with good players and and i knew it was going to be a rough game but um when it got to be 11 to 2 and i in my my attitude towards it was really good for 57 of the 60 minutes and then they just kept trying to score when it was 11 to 2 with 3 minutes left and something in me just um i don't know i just that one of their guys had a breakaway and i was playing defense and i was just like i'm going to run this motherfucker over and um i'm not going to lie it felt good i knocked i knocked this guy completely off his skates i fell too but it it i mean i really unloaded on this on this guy and the weird part is is I had substitute played for them the week before. They had the game after mine, and their bench was short, so they said, I said, you you know, you want me to play for you? And they said, yeah. And so I got to know these guys a little bit last week and really liked them, and they really liked me. But here I was just one week later, and because they're running the score up, I just, you know, took this guy's fucking head off. And, of course, you know, I got tossed out of the game, and he gets up, from from the ice and he's just incredulous he's like paul why why did you do that what and i said it's a you know 11 to 2 and you're running the fucking score up and and i just kept saying that and yelling at his teammates and by the time i went over and got my extra sticks because i i had to leave the the ice surface and go to the locker room when you get kicked out um you got to gather all your shit up and do the walk of shame and I passed by him and I stopped and I, and I gave him a little, you know, pat on the back and I said, I'm sorry, I'm just really frustrated. And he said, that's okay. And it felt good to, to, you know, clean up my, my end of the, end of the deal there. And and, and I apologized to each of the guys on his teams, uh, on his team as they, as they were leaving the ice, I was standing there and I apologized to my teammates. Um, and. One of the things that I've learned in, in working on myself through therapy and support groups is you can use moments like that to to cull emotional kind of data about what's going on inside you. And so I tried to do that when I came home. I got kind of quiet and I and I tried to think, what, what was it about them running the score up that made me so mad? Because it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm a... F- chubby middle-aged guy playing in a silly beer league and I and I was like well what what did it make me feel as is, is they're trying to score more goals and there's only three minutes left and I thought well it makes me feel disrespected and then it hits me it makes me feel like I'm being taken advantage of like they know we're the weaker team that we're defenseless that we can't stop them from scoring and that it it makes us look bad as they score more goals but they don't care all they care about is how many goals they score and I thought that's what it's about it's about me having a really sensitive part inside myself about being taken advantage of and so I think the next time it happens um, I don't know what I'll do maybe I'll try to calm down and just go, okay, this is your fear of being taken advantage of. Or maybe I just lay the guy out. And when he says, why did you do that? I'll say, because you remind me of my mom. And then he can say, well, I'm trying so hard because I never got a hug from my dad. And then we'll go to center Rice and high five and make out. All right. Uh, I wanted to thank our uh, our sponsor for this show, uh, Squarespace. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Squarespace is the famous drag and drop site platform that lets you build a sleek personal or business website in a couple of clicks. So if you go over to squarespace.com slash happy hour, you can start a free trial and you can use the offer code HAPPY when you buy a plan and you'll get a 10% discount. So that's squarespace.com slash happy hour and then the offer code is HAPPY. And uh, many, many thanks to squarespace for, uh, for supporting this, this show. Let's get to some, um, some surveys. Actually, I got a couple of emails I want to read, too. The interview with Greg is um, a little bit on the shorter side uh, because we've interviewed him before. Um, this interview kind of focuses focuses on a, a little bit of a meltdown he had about uh, about six months ago. Um, so I've decided to, instead of having a short episode, have it be the usual length but just have more surveys and uh, and emails and stuff in it. This was just uh, an email I got from uh, Joel, who's a mental health professional, and uh, on the uh, Greg Fitzsimmons episode, we were talking about ADHD, and he offered – Joel um, offers a quick analogy about how Meds work with ADHD. He says, Imagine you're playing an intense game of Tetris. The pieces continually fall and get faster. The pieces are the random thoughts, inclinations, stimulation, and feelings most people have throughout the day. Unless you're able to fit those pieces together into lines, they get crowded and useless pretty fast. Most people have the ability to organize those pieces on their own. People with ADHD lack that. It's like they're a terrible Tetris player. The stimulant medication gives the Tetris player part of the brain, an extra oomph to make all those pieces work in a functional way. Thank you for that, Joel. I want to read an email that I got from uh, our listener, Anne Ann, uh, in Berlin, who some of you uh, may know from previous emails. Uh, she always writes so so eloquently. Um, she wrote about being an atheist uh, about a year ago that uh, a lot of people requested to be reprinted. It was so um, so well written. Um But she, uh, the episode with Greg Fitzsimmons, uh, we tossed the word pussy around, uh, and she writes, I'm not calling you out for using the word pussy as a synonym for weakness, since I am guilty of the same, quote, crime, just sharing some ideas that I try to establish in my own head. We call someone a pussy for being weak, yet the vagina is a pretty tough organ. It contains very strong muscles that are capable of pushing out tiny humans that weigh about three kilograms expand up to 200% in the process and return to nearly its original shape. The pussy is a pretty self-reliant thing. It cleans itself, kills bacteria that enter it, and produces a natural lubricant called squalane that can also be found in sharks. Sharks! Exclamation point. Well, then, I think we're agreed from now on we will use the word cunt. ba boom Oh, thank you for that, uh, Anne. Um... This is from the Body Shame Collector, uh, written by a guy who calls himself Sweaty Soul. He's in his 30s. What do you dislike about your body? I'm fat and have a small penis. That is, the, that is what I hate, uh, by the way. The, the fat I hate because it's something I've done to myself and only exa- exacerbates the problem of being hung like an infant. The small penis I hate because, well, it's a small penis. Because of these two things, I don't even attempt to meet a woman because it would just be a massive disappointment for her. You know, I've never heard of somebody breaking up with someone because they were fat or because they had a a small penis. But I have heard people breaking up with somebody else because they couldn't get over their self-hatred. And that that sabotaged the relationship. Um, And then this is the last one before we get to the interview. This is also from the Body Shame Survey, uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Mackenzie. She is uh, in her 20s. Uh, What do you like or dislike about your body? She writes, my disgusting cellulite thighs, my flat white girl ass my bad teeth, my thin hair, my flabby arms, my ugly feet, my mousy features, my brittle fingernails, my freckles, my pasty skin, and my smile. Other than that, I love my body. Every human being has weird thoughts going through their head. one of my favorite people in the world. Actually, he, oh. could, he couldn't make it, but I'm here, with, <laughs> I'm here with Greg Barrett instead. You are one of my favorites. I my got favorite. here yesterday.
1: <laughs> you know how they say a day late or a dollar short? Yeah. You know what you'd get with Greg Barrett? A day early or 15, 20 minutes late. So you either get me the day I wasn't invited to your
0: home. Yeah, or late to the day you That's did. That's right. You showed up. You thought it was yesterday. I was on. You showed yeah, up. Yeah, had a hat on. Your text made me laugh. Yeah, I'm here, and then five minutes later, see you tomorrow. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> I yeah.
1: I was excited. I like. I. I loved the last time I did this show. So I guess I was eager to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm glad to to have you here. Uh, for those of you that haven't listened to uh, Greg's previous episode, um, nothing. Outwardly dramatic about your story, you're a you know you're a a, a guy that's been sober a while. You you, you know you you tried to numb yourself for for a long time with the, with drugs and alcohol, and uh, got a great family life. You got a wife. You got two yeah. lovely daughters. You, yeah. you one of the probably the funniest podcasts around called Walking the Room. Yeah. Pick I'm bo- no longer on that, but thank you. I <laughs> I, uh, that, I lost
1: the job on my own podcast. That's yeah yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I it's it. Dave Anthony
1: and uh, Joel McHale now. Uh, they recast it, and the numbers are through the roof. He tests so well; people love him. So, but I, uh, I still do the. I still uh, let them use my closet. So that's sort of. I'm, a, I'm on the producers' head. I got a piece of it. It is for those of you that have never
0: heard. He's kidding, of course. He's still on the podcast. Those of you that have never heard "Walking the Room," it is. Uh, it's so wrong, it's right. Yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. It's the honesty of this show in right. and, and a rollicking politically incorrect. Uh,
1: right. But, but forward thinking, like pro-women, we're just not pro-us. <laughs> yes. That's like, it's a really, you know, it's mostly just about the tragedy of two old men who can't deal with the fact that their careers have not gone the way they expected them to, and they plan to do nothing about it. Uh, and their parents. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And if you, and also just the curious, you know, the thought, you know, can you pick something up with your butthole? Like those
0: are some <laughs> of the things that we explore on the podcast. <laughs> uh, it's called walking the room. And it was picked by the onion AV club as one of the top 10 podcasts of 2012.
1: Was, I mean, that felt like a mercy. F- I mean, it was very sweet of them. They're yeah. very nice.
0: Well, yeah. Well, it's a great podcast. <laughs> Thank so. you. Um, People may also know you as the author of He's Just Not That Into You. Co-author. Co-author yep. of mm-hmm. uh, that. And they just may know you as a jackass they see about town. I think... I mean, there's a lot... Like the
1: guy that I almost got in a fight with at the deli, he, that's how he sees me. Yeah. He sees me as mind business. He sees the real you. Yeah, yeah,
0: he sees the real you. Yeah. And through. he got a little taste of it the other yeah. day. That was fun.
1: You didn't but, throw down, did you? Um, Well, no. But I... I, well, I mean, I... Because a guy that wears a cardigan, I don't
0: see... Th- I, I don't see... Th-
1: here's the throwing thing. Throwing down. I'm not a, a throwdown guy unless you yell at an older woman uh, because you missed your number. And she says, I'm 35. And he said, no, I don't think so, lady. I'm next. And I said, well, they already called you a number. And he said, uh, oh, yeah? Is that how this is going to go, bro? And then... Yeah because it was, we'll talk about later, yeah. I'm newly medicated. What I've found is <clears throat> when you don't have any of the fear that you used to have before, um, you can stay in the moment and just repeat back to the guy what he's saying, but you just say it back quietly and you smile when you say it. <laughs> and at one point he said, uh, you don't want to mess with me, man. And I go, you don't want to mess with me, bro. <laughs> and I just smiled at him, like maybe we'd have a hug he just got more and more furious and eventually he just ordered some chicken. <laughs> it really was that weird thing of, I really was like, I really have had this, uh, um, this, uh, sort of, you know, kind of awakening through this situation through using the meds. And, and I, I was just present for it. And I was just like, I'm not going to yell, but you're also not going to push an old woman around on nice. the Super Bowl Sunday. This woman's wearing a lime suit. She's got enough going against her. On a Monday, she's, she's on 80, her own. But on Super Bowl Sunday. Here's, here's my favorite part of the whole thing. As we're having this back and forth and he's getting more and more puffed up, and he's a big dude and he's wearing sweats. He says, uh he says something like, you know, You're really you're heading for it, buddy. Something like that. And the woman says, Go ahead and hit him. <laughs> we're all watching. Go ahead and hit him. And I kept thinking, you know, if he hits me, I can get that computer. <laughs> like, I could get that computer. And also, a couple weeks I might weeks not ago, be able
0: to operate it. No.
1: But a couple weeks ago, I split my head open trying to teach my daughter how to skateboard. So, I know what a shot to the skull feels like re- recently. I lived through it. So, there's really not a whole lot he can do to me that I haven't already felt in the last 10 weeks. Plus, I just feel good enough about myself right now to, not, to be able to take. I can take a few shots. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, he just ordered chicken. <clears throat> he backed down. So um, what would the old Greg have done? The unmedicated Greg? How I'd, have it,
1: I'd have met it with the same sort of ferocity. I would have come back at him. It's really will You want a little piece of this shit? Because I'll fucking, you know, I would have gone that route. Yeah. I would have gone like, you want some? Because I'll fucking, yeah. I'll tear your fucking lungs out. Like I would have gone to that thing. The problem is that guy couldn't rip anyone's lungs out. So he could, I'm a, you know, I'm a fine enough actor to be able to pull that <laughs> off. But I couldn't then when that, like if he was like, okay, I'd be like, maybe later. <laughs> I don't have my lung
0: pulling hands on. Like, I don't know what I would say, but I just, I wasn't... When I get back from my car, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, it would have
1: just, it would have just escalated, and it would have, like, it wasn't like I wasn't in fear. It's just I would have let my fear take it to that point where my wife grabs my arm a lot and goes, don't make this a thing, you know, or in the car, or any time where someone just bumps me, and then I feel like i've been shoved by god and i'm like shoved back you know and i you know i go oh the life can't fuck you life and um i just don't have the energy i suppose for that or i don't know
0: and and isn't all anger isn't there just a a little ember of fear inside that feeding it anyway totally i mean it may be really buried and you're not you're not recognizing what that fear is but right yeah no
1: totally and and I mean, I genuinely watched a guy yell at an older woman at the store and was like, bro. And I didn't come at him like that. I was just like, bro, like, Mm -hmm. you you have to be clear on this. You're 55 with a mustache and sweats, and this woman is 80 plus. Like, just let her have, let her order. Then you can go next or whatever. There were a lot of different ways he could have resolved that. You know, even by saying, you know what, guys, I missed my shot. I'm 34, to which both of us would have said, yeah, go ahead. No problem. Mm-hmm. Super Bowl Sunday. I'm just getting some chicken. He was getting some chicken. He really got pumped up. And yeah. then at one point, he called me a slob. And I said, but you're wearing sweats. Like, that doesn't work. <laughs> that really made him mad. <laughs> and when I got a little they got a little crowd gathered around, there was a little bit. Of, I got a, I got a couple of laughs. It wasn't a bad set. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's let's talk about the... what what do you want to call it the episode yeah the the meltdown yeah what what i i haven't listened to your podcast right in a while i haven't listened to any podcasts in a while i get that so i don't and i purposely haven't really um knowing that i was gonna have you come back on here and talk about this i just kind of wanted to hear this for the first time from you. That's my way of justifying my laziness and my being a bad friend.
1: No, no, no. And I also don't think, I don't think it's probably better to do it, you know, to have it be organic between the two of us because the way we would discuss would be different than the way I discussed it on the show. And also those people live with me from week to week, but it wasn't like a moment of clarity. It was exactly like the escalation of my alcoholism where finally I'm like, okay, this is something is off. And, um, Uh, It started in in July of last year when I the end began uh, in Montreal when I went for the festival and I had seven nights in a theater and I was getting crowds of like we had to cancel the show twice because nobody showed up and or two or three people and then I would go out and sit with them and say it would really be silly to do a show and usually they were hardcore fans of the podcast that had traveled from great distances. Um, and canceling the show the first night was really difficult, and uh, I woke up the next, and, and and I would find that mm, there would be some sort of an event, and that would send me into a spiral. Now, usually the spiral would, in the old days, the spiral would last for a couple hours, and that maybe would last for a couple of days. Well, these clouds would come in, and there would just something would set off, and it would be, I would know I was in for days of being under of just the voices and. Sadness and hope, and just and a kind of hopelessness that I just had not experienced. You know, then I would catch some elevator ride up. I don't know, good review, or some days it would just clear. The sky would just clear. Maybe the right cup of coffee at the right time. But then that ride would go really high. You know, and I'd be on this manic upswing. You know, and I just started to realize that I was going on these swings. They are lasting longer and longer. And the last one ended with, maybe you just throw yourself out the window here in Montreal. You just go right out the window. There's plenty of... I mean, you're insured to the fucking gills. Your kids will... They can go to any school. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. genuinely, the people would be better off without me. And that thing where you do realize, like, you know how people are always surprised by a suicide? It's not because it was plotted. It's because it came upon that person. They went, now. It's not this thing... Because no one's thinking... (laughs) They're not thinking about you when they do it. So they didn't, they weren't going to give you the opportunity to help them because while it may have been a series of slow events that led there, the moment is quick. You know, this stuff comes up on people much faster than I think is discussed. And I think people think of depression as this um, sort of, block of something as opposed to this very fluid very quick fleeting diving you know it's like a bird it's up it's down it's in it's sideways and it just comes and i'm like if i killed myself right now which feels like the right choice people will be fucking stunned there were people that were with me last night who were like he's fine he was actually kind of laughing about it he didn't seem upset of course i didn't seem upset i didn't feel suicidal and suicidal thoughts are bad (laughs) let's just break it let's just break it down they're bad so the first thing I did was I had a show that night where some people showed up and oddly enough, and this is like kind of the neat thing in life, like Neil Brennan showed up and Mark Marin. They're not even friends of mine, really, like friends friends. Neil's not, Mark is, kinda. But not close, he wouldn't say the same thing. They showed up to my show, they're the only peers I don't think they're my only peers have seen me do stand up in like since Pardo came and visited me two Christmases ago in Portland. So I was like that was a little bit like, okay, I'm okay, a little bit. And then I said to my manager, you have to call me every day because I'm not good. I'm in a bad place, but I have to get home, and i got to finish out this run. So we we actually were vacationing in Hawaii. I went from Canada to Hawaii, staying with some friends, and one of my friends was like, you just got to get in therapy. You just got to go. Just go straight to therapy, like get it, get off the airplane, go home and go to find something. And you'd been to therapy before, right? Yeah. But years, years ago, like when I first got married, I was seeing a therapist and she was a girl that was like a student at UCLA and she just talked to me and nothing happened. It was, Mm. I just, was me talking. It was like this, you know, I didn't get any.
0: A waste of time.
1: It was kind of a waste of time, (laughs) but you don't know. Here's the thing. You don't know. Therapists are like, um. You know they're like running shoes like they serve a really important purpose but if they don't work they don't work that doesn't mean all running shoes aren't bad you just have yeah. to figure you just have to really want to find that connection because there are some people that are brilliant at this and there are some people that like at any job so i think a lot of people think they tried therapy they figure all therapists must do the same thing and then they don't go back so that's a that's something that's important to know it's like they're all different some of them talk too much
0: Anyway, and the way that you feel when you're in the room with that person is really important because I've been with therapists where I don't feel like my sadness is able to come out for them to yep. experience, right. and yet I've, I can be with a therapist where I just see the look on their face and the compassion on their face, and all that sadness can come up and out, and then I can talk about it, yeah. and so there are there are... Therapist that, whose very vibe will allow you to be more productive.
1: Yeah. And also you have to think about the biggest secret you have and think, I don't know if I can tell them now, but can I tell them you think a year from now, maybe I could tell them that one thing, you know, if you have a hot young girl therapist, you're not going to tell her about chronic masturbating or that's all you're going to talk about, but it's going to be weird. <laughs> it's eat one or the other. Like, that's just how that's going to go. So anyway, there was a woman who we had taken our kids to when they were having some anxiety just some little kid stuff and, and really it was more for us as a group to figure out hey how do we we're not figuring we don't have tools right. and she was great and I said look I don't know if you take adults but I'm in a dive I'm in a real tailspin and even if you could just sit with me for a, an hour and help me plot out a course with somebody else I have to go talk to another person and then I went and saw her And um, when I would describe to her, like, what was going on with me, I would say, it almost feels like I'm acting against my will when this depression sets in. It's like, the episodes feel alcoholic in that, like, I have to do a lot of apologizing afterwards for behavior I knew was bad at the time, but I couldn't control it. And the real fact of the matter is... Because you were
0: manic or angry in your episodes or withdrawn?
1: (laughs) Manic, angry, um, paranoid, really paranoid, really like, you know, fuck, my manager... You know, and I could, my telltale signs where I wanted to write my... I always wanted to wake up and write my manager a letter. So that was one of my tip-offs. And then Amira was just always never had my back. Constantly blaming my wife. You, did, well, you don't get me. Why, why aren't you on my side? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it was really... The weird thing is, too, with this behavior, at least my experience is, I just focused it on the only fucking person I had trapped to to listen to me. I could only... You know, I didn't give it... Dave got a little bit of it. And Dave was one of the people that sort of kicked off that thought because he was saying to me in our episodes, like, Jesus, you're like here today. And I'd be like, yeah, but you're crazy. Like I use Dave as like the sick one in our relationship when in fact, you know, he has a pretty healthy relationship with his anger and I have a really unhealthy relationship with my happiness. (laughs) So I'm the happy one. So because our contrasting personalities on the podcast are that I'm the sweet one and I'm the listener and I'm this and what other horse should I have told myself about who I was. So anyway, long story short is we spend some time together and I keep saying to her, it feels almost like, I ha- like there's a shift inside my body like chemistry. I feel a change inside and I can't, I can't go there again. And I started to have an episode again and I had a fight with Amira, which we hadn't had for the first six weeks of therapy, but then we had a really bad fight where she was like, I'm done, I'm done. Like we're done. And we don't fight that often, but she was like, I've, she just hit her breaking point. And, uh, I went the next day and, and she said, okay, we'll go see your physician. And I saw him the next day, the day after that, we just put one of our dogs down and, uh,
0: always good timing.
1: It's, I mean, it was all awesome. It was all happening at an awesome pace. And then he gave me <clears throat> some, prescribed something for me called Lexapro. So he, she said, I don't know what you'll be prescribed. You know, these are the idea, these are the drugs that, you know, she was throwing some names around, Xanax or whatever. And anyway, he said, I'm going to, this one is fast acting and, you know, pretty strong. So I'm just going to give you a tiny bit of it. So it's like 20 milligrams for a whole dose. And it, I took, and take, still take just five. So I just took a little bit of it. And literally within hours, I had to go do uh, that uh, Pardo's right Right now is that what it's called the thing that was the writer's room oh right yeah and i was like what is happening i'm sitting backstage i have zero anxiety about going on which is my fuel right. anxiety can also feel good anxiety can be that weird like oh we're gonna have a good time it's gonna be awesome And i don't have that i'm like what is this gonna be like but at the same time i ain't tripping i don't care how good the other comics are in the room I don't care about Moshe's career or Tompkins or any, I'm not care. I'm not care about any of it. I don't know if Tompkins is there or somebody was there, but anyway, I just go out and do my set and I'm completely present for it and it goes great and it's fine. And it's been pretty much that journey ever since, you know, like very like, um, it's like, I say an elevator stopped falling. And then all of my problems fell to the ground. So we weren't all falling at once. And then I could see what size they were. There are still problems. My problems are not solved, but my approach to them
0: is like, oh, okay, well, we'll figure this out. That's a great way of putting it. I recognize that sound. It's time to give our sponsor a little bit of love, and our sponsor is Squarespace. Do you want to build a website the right way? Then go to squarespace.com. You guys have been to somebody's website before where they clearly have a passion for something, but it looks like the person that designed it was high on crack. I say you get away from them and their crack pipe and their complete lack of knowledge about color schemes and design. And you go to Squarespace where you can find a gazillion different templates to use, beautiful color schemes. You can change the template at any time. It's super intuitive. It's drag and drop comes with award-winning 24-7 support with cloud hosting and real-time analytics. And you sign up for a year, and Squarespace will throw in a free domain name. How do you like that? In fact, if Greg Barrett were to go right now, he could sign up and he could get the domain name Hard again for Cardigans. Huh? Greg likes sweaters. Bad joke. Uh, Support the show by going to squarespace.com slash happy hour. And you can start a free trial with no credit card required. Uh, And then when you decide to buy... When you put in the offer code, just put in HAPPY, and you get a 10% discount. So that's squarespace.com slash happy hour, offer code HAPPY. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. So that was really like,
1: that's been my experience. And it's you know it's Im- in- interesting because I've talked a lot with my therapist now about brain chemistry and what your, what your brain will do when you allow it to, and what my criteria is for happiness, which is not it's it's not actual happiness it's a lack of unhappiness you know I like being here in fact I feel like if I go up too high I start to go like I don't want to that's scary up there stay down do the work I'm able to have a good time and enjoy things but the thing, what I thought was happiness was a mania almost. Do you get that?
0: Yeah. I, I, I have experienced mania before, as I described to you when I was a guest on your, your podcast with right. the bu- buying of the domain names where I was just, <laughs> <Right>. you know, right, <laughs> right. Just, uh, right. you know, for practically, you know, 48 straight hours, just yep. gobbling up. Don- useless. Yes. Useless domain names. Yeah, I love it. Con- just absolutely convinced that, but, but I don't, have episodes like that um very very often but but there is a a focus and a drive and a sureness to um manic behavior that is really intoxicating really intoxicating yeah yeah,
1: totally Uh, um but always for me this would happen a lot with songwriting uh, even joke writing I'd be super excited about it. We'd work on it. We'd make it. We'd record it. And then I'd listen to it and I would go into a depression that I couldn't comprehend because it was like, oh, God, it's awful. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's none of those things. It's just a thing that you wrote. That's pretty good. And, and the next ones will be, you know what I mean? Like I would attach an importance and what was going to happen. And this is the thing. And now we're doing it and it's all going to be awesome. And fuck, that's just, it's not the thing. And I don't know what this, I mean, I kind of had that with the podcast, to be honest. Like I, we were doing the podcast and it was going really well at first. And I'm like, Oh, we're on the Marin track. Here we go, baby. I'm back. And that didn't happen. Um, But it also didn't also, but then it, It became, now I see it as its own beautiful thing. Like Dave and I have a rhythm now and I just love it. Like I don't care what happens. Nothing has to happen with it. It's perfect. It's just perfect and I love it. But I did, I was attaching some and then I had a like, oh, the podcast isn't going well and I'm not going to work on that anymore. And I'm I'm an an idiot forever thinking that it was going to be more than it is. Yeah, you know. And right, exactly. I felt exactly, I felt exactly like that.
0: So it's, it's, and I relate to this so much, it's almost like there, there's an addiction to binary thinking when in right. reality, it's like you were describing depression is, this just much more fluid and, and kind of nuanced and it, and it doesn't have to be predicted about where it's going to. And no, and it's
1: all, you know, is that like, all I know is that that right now, what I have is a, uh, I watched this documentary yesterday about James about the making of the James Bond films. It's fantastic. It's on Netflix, and it's just about it starts with just starts with Ian Fleming and goes all the way through uh, uh, the most recent Bond. And Ian Fleming after the war just was lost, and they said this phrase that I loved, and then they said, and then she started. He started working on the James Bond stuff, and he knew what the mission was. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. And it's like, for me, a lot of times it's like, it's just, just I just need to know it. I, I don't need for it to have a result. I just need to, What am I doing? What do I like doing? You know, a lot of my career choices were made by other people recommending what I should be doing based on what I had done. You know, I talk about the book now with the idea of like, once I got to Oprah, the mission had been accomplished. It didn't need to go beyond that. But I took it beyond that because that's what people do. They make careers out of it and you got to sell books and people who are, girls want to know and blah, blah, blah. But in my heart, I was like, that was perfect. It was a perfect day. I went there. I made people laugh. The point was made. We went back a couple of the times and the point was made less, but I was trying to have now have a career. And that felt disingenuous, but I didn't know what to do. But it's that thing of like knowing what the mission is and knowing what you want to accomplish. And a lot of times, what if you know what the mission is, but everybody else thinks it's something else, sometimes people are disappointed in you and you go, I know, but that's not where I'm going. And I'm sorry about that. But that's just not what I do. It's so what I did. It's not what I do. I don't want to do that, actually. Now that I have clarity, I know exactly what I want to do and what I don't want to do and how I want to do it. And I'm open to things for sure. But I don't want to do things based out of fear or preconceived ideas of who I was or, or
0: strictly based on money, which I would imagine yeah. would be a difficult thing to to do when you've got a mortgage and a wife and two kids, I would, I would think for most people, they would say, well, fuck, what world are you living in? You know, money's got to be the most important decision, but I, I don't don't think anything of value will
1: follow If I, if I go down that path, trust me, I don't know how to make money artificially. I'm not that good. (laughs) I'm not good enough to go. You know, I could have written a million books. I couldn't, I could barely write the three we wrote. Uh, you don't write scripts. I don't even like writing scripts. I was, people think I write scripts cause I worked on sex and city, but I didn't write on sex and city. So I don't have that pedigree that everyone, that my manager was able to sell to everybody to get me deals, to write things that never got made. It's not my passion. So I've said sort of to my wife, I'm like, look, let me follow my passion for a year, one year, 365 days and I'll film it and then we'll know how it went. I'll make a documentary about it. Let me, for one year, while we're in this spot, which we can't get out of, let me see if that doesn't take us somewhere interesting because I don't know what else to do. But I know that when I'm living in the truth or if I'm on my mission, I can already feel it. I can already feel myself moving forward. I can already feel something happening. Not financially, necessarily, but I definitely feel like doors are opening. People are interested. I, you know, People are welcoming and you know
0: how do you know when you're listening to your kind of intuitive gut your the voice of your higher self and when you're listening to your ego
1: well that's what i think is the, that's what i think the has done a lot about the ego's just it sounds false i know exactly what it sounds like i can just rule it out you know i just do what, what i can feel in my chest and what i'm able to do creatively like i can sit down with a guitar and I can come up with stuff and I can sit down with Angelo, my partner, who I make t shirts with. And we have our little t shirt company and we can think of a million ideas and stuff is coming. And I can also get out there and do the work. I find myself screening or, you know, curing shirts or folding stuff or putting stuff in boxes and just being, just working. And I'm like, this feels right, man. People like this. You know, I've turned a lot of scripts in that just died on the table and this feels like people are interested. So I guess it's, i guess it's just going with what's in your heart i mean that's the thing we're doing it's like that really corny thing that people say when they win awards is like i just followed what was in my heart you know and that's uh you know like it is a tough thing to say to your kids look i'm gonna follow my hearts guy. so maybe no more private school <laughs> i don't know <laughs> we'll see what happens i don't know but at the same time i can't imagine leaving the planet and going yeah i didn't try because i was afraid and.
0: And, and, you know, at the bottom line, too, I think when when it comes to – and I could be wrong because I'm not a parent, but the vibe that you have when you're living through your heart radiates an energy that your kids are going to dig more than the energy you're going to radiate when you're t- – slaving away to script that you don't believe in because you're afraid to tell your agent I really don't like show business.
1: I can't well it's so funny cuz my agent will call me, my, my manager will call me and we have the best conversations now but he's tripped out because I used to just be so furious with him and then he'll call up and go um you know I got we got a gig in Pittsburgh and I was like okay. Cool and he goes but I don't I don't know what else. I mean if you were writing anything I go you know what dude we got the band raised the money we're going to go in the studio in March. I've shot you know x amount of hours with the, the documentary um we did shows in new york uh i'm i'm fine i'm good how are you like yeah. i don't you know like he feels like he should now be i think he feel before i was like why why are you don't have a career well, can't i host something like you know just shouting yeah. at him you know and now I just, you know, now I don't have anything to tell him until I have something to tell him. I say, I really want to make this movie and I want you to help me do that. If you can help me find someone to finance the movie, that's what I want to do. But that's what I'm doing. I'm going to shoot it with, with or without you or it.
0: You know, the, the other thing that I've discovered is when you're making decisions from your heart and not your ego, there's not a sense of panic to it. There's a sense oh. of peace and a sense of faith to it.
1: And I think then getting other people to work with you, is easier because they feel comfortable around you and they're like well he seems to know what he's doing i mean that's all that's all people want is just a sense of like well he's got a plan he seems like he knows what he's doing you know and you know the money shows up to pay the horn section and the money shows up to buy art sometimes from people for t-shirts and stuff and we i make sure everyone gets paid and you know i'm always the last guy that gets paid on our things but you know i think there's a sense that like well this guy sort of seems like he's moving forward now so i'll jump onto that and i've had a lot of We've had a lot of people be very, very kind kind and generous with us when we started the Indiegogo campaign thing for the reigning Monarchs. You know, there were guys that were like— Reigning I...
0: Monarchs is the name of Greg's it, uh, band.
1: The band. We are an instrumental surf and ska band, which even, even putting the onus on something like that to succeed is ridiculous. So—
0: You're looking to get into poetry to increase your income. Well,
1: look, here's the thing. I'm trying to be in a band so people will take me seriously as a poet, even though the band is instrumental. But I feel like they'll sense me in a sweater, and they'll say, that guy's got to speak rhymes into a microphone at a coffee shop. And from there, it's straight to barista. So it's a weird trip that I'm making to Starbucks. Um, but I would like to, uh, but I have found, like, for whatever reason, like, in, for more than anything I've worked on in the last couple of years, like a guitar company uh, called Schechter said look we love what you guys are trying to do If you'd be interested in playing our guitars we'd be interested in sponsoring you right? guys go look man i can't offer you any money really but i i master records i will master the record for you for free or you know people are just like you know come play here come play here my buddy will do this i have a horn section you know went back to new york and played the starfish circus and uh, this guy glenn's like i'm a jazz musician back here let me put a section together for you and you don't have to pay us of course i did it wasn't that much 50 bucks a guy but so I think people get excited because they they sort of like what you're putting out there, and that they think you're genuine and you're and you want you know, and then the great surprise for me is I scraped up some money for you. I won't take anything. I won't let anybody work for free. I just don't believe in it. I'm a little bit of a you know I do believe like that way. If you screw up, I can tell you to <laughs> read the charts. <laughs> I paid you fifty bucks. You read the charts. You know what I mean? You get, you know what I mean? You want I wanna send the, the thing back. That's perfect. But I want this all in blue you know and yeah. if I pay for it I can do that well dude it sounds like you're in a good place you know it, it uh... better I was in a very bad place I have to say like as I know the listenership of the show because I'm I am in it but it 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 surprises me you know when <clears throat> when the, the He's Just Not That Indie came out and a lot of people were how could somebody how could somebody not know if a guy didn't like him it's so simple It's not simple. And that's the same thing like with depression. Like it's not simple. And a lot of people are afraid that – like a lot of people are under the impression like, you know, taking meds is cheating or it's quitting or something like whatever. Is taking insulin – Uh, Cheating for diabetics? I mean, that's the way my doctor described it. He's like, look, you have an illness and this is the cure. It's like you have diabetes. And once you've gotten to a place where you feel leveled off, we'll take you off the
0: pills if you want them. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to do spiritual work and exercise and try to eat healthy and talk to a therapist. If
1: anything, this thing allows you to do more of those things. You know, the one drawback for me is it slows my metabolism down. It's been hard to keep off weight, but I'm like, I don't care. That's the thing. I don't care. I'm like, you know what? I'm good looking enough. It'll work. It'll be fine. I'll go on a hike. Like I'll walk with the dog. I'll try and count my calories. But I don't care anymore. Like that guy, I like that living in that way where you have to be this perfect version of yourself. is just a bummer. You know, give forgiving yourself makes it easier to like go on a diet because you, you're doing it kind of for fun. Like, can I get this 10 pounds off? Just get 10. Don't get do 35. Just take off 10. Just don't make it such a big deal. And also, there's no there's no answer at the end of 35 pounds
0: either. Right. Like, now I'm lovable.
1: Right. Exactly. Now I'm okay. Right. It's actually better for me to try and be lovable and likable, like, you know, oh, a little overweight than it is to try and think that that's going to, because then you have this other, well, now, now I get the weight, then I'll get my hair cut right, then I'll find the right clothes. You know, there's always this other thing.
0: And it's never ending. Know?
1: It's never ending.
0: I, I want to express to the to the listeners the joy of letting yourself go physically. It has been Well I'll tell you. Dave treat. Anthony's
1: done it and he is really <laughs> He's really really gone up. Brian Posehn, I mean, these guys have really <laughs> let themselves go and it feels good. Patton Oswald is a perfect specimen of just letting it out. Have a scotch at noon. It doesn't matter. The point is you're living. Why <laughs> I threw all those guys under the bus. Oh my friends.
0: You know, so I threw myself under the bus. I you love throw that. your friends under the bus. I love that. That's that's like a really really cheap name check. It was a good one though, right? It was good. Yeah, it was good, good. Those are good names. Um, well, dude, uh, I love you, man, and I, and I'm I'm so happy to see that you're you're in a good place. You're, yeah. I think you're one of the best podcasters out there. You and Dave do something that nobody else does. There there is no other um, show. Like yours, and oh, it nice always makes me laugh out loud. I have a really hard time laughing to begin with, but you guys literally make me laugh out, oh, that's out loud. Nice. And it's, it's thank nice. you, man. It's,
1: well, I love your podcast, and I love what you're doing, and I think it's really important. I think it's really important because you're coming at it in a way that is so gettable and so useful. <clears throat> and so, the fact that you do it in this medium and that you're a a stellar comedian and a really good open dude. I think, you know, that's, <clears throat> that was part of the success of what he's just not that into was on some level is that it was written by TV writers who were just people who just had bad experiences and were sharing them at a group level, you know, on some, in some way. And I think, you know, that's sort of the great thing about podcasting too, is being able to find these, you know you know the when and i 'm like you i don't listen to them anymore i don't watch stand up i don't i've never i never actually with the exception of music and, and nowadays i find this i find myself less doing the craft i'm involved in because i'd much rather do something else yeah. and i don't want to borrow anything
0: and I think there's something inherent in the podcasting medium that it's anti authoritarian there's I think we've been browbeat by experts enough in mainstream media that we're like, you know what, go take your fucking degree and your pompous attitude and, you know, go buy an Island and give me a break. Yeah, totally. Because I
1: also think that like, this is the wave of the future. And you are also, I heard, um, <clears throat> I heard Billy Corgan talking on a podcast from the Smashing Pumpkins and he was talking about, you have to look at your, we have to, we have to look at, it all differently now there's going to be less money for everybody but people are going to have little groups that they are a part of and belong to and and are responsible for and creating content for those groups of people and they'll be small groups but they'll be groups that will stay with you for a long time if the content is good and if you connect with them in the right way and i think there really is a there really is because i think people always are trying to be a part of a community anything that you like you want to be able to say well we're in the group of people that like portlandia you know and that makes you feel good or whatever it is or downton abbey or whatever it is and so i think with the smashing pumpkins and i think people like to be in a group now you can actually reach out and kind of connect with your artists and you can find the other people really quickly Mm -hmm. and podcasting you can find it very quickly because this is an incredibly active community and i've said (laughs) this before our people are just outstandingly broken
0: (laughs) (laughs) they are they're uh the way that they connect to each other is a beautiful thing to, to see Um, just the, the community that you, that you guys have created and it, it gives them something to bond over. You know, it's obviously your, your show just in and of itself is entertaining as hell and everything, but it's got this really cool added thing of, um, it's this community where people know each other and they'll yep. and they'll riff on something that you guys said and all of a sudden there'll be 80 comments um where everybody's building on a riff that you guys started in right. your podcast and it's <clears throat> i think that's all people really want is to feel a part of something bigger than
1: themselves totally and they also embrace they have completely embraced you they embr- i mean you know patton didn't need embracing but some of the people that have come on our show mm-hmm. that they You know, I talked for a long time about my favorite comedian, Jeff Bolt, who lives in San Francisco, and there's very very, little to find. And then he came on our live podcast, and when he came out, the crowd gave him the kind of cheer that he deserved because he'd been spoken of so reverently on our podcast that when he came out, they were like, yes, before he even started and it made me so proud of them for being so cool to him. Yeah, like, like oh, that's so beautiful. You're my friends, and you and I told you this guy was great. And when he came out, you gave my heroes welcome. And they did the same thing to my dad when my dad appeared on a, on a on a live event. They gave him a standing ovation. Like to me, it's like, oh, you really are. You really give a shit. Like this isn't just some, yeah. you know. This is, you aren't just being cute. You're being loving. You're actually saying, hey, I don't. Even, I've already. Greg's already said you're great. So we're in. And do you think some of that is because you've laid yourself bare on your podcast? Yeah, same with yours. That's why they connect. Yes. Totally, because I think that's your that's been the only card I've ever been able to play in my stand-up, is my truth. Because I don't—God, uh, it's so funny. I just wanted to be weird when I started, and I just didn't—that's what Jeff Bolt was like, just incredibly weird. I watched Rory Scoville the other night, and I was fascinated by how weird and interesting he is. And that's the kind of comic I wanted to be. It's just not who I am. I have to come from this really like this just happened and I'm all messed up about it kind of place. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's what I, that's what I do. So that's why the podcast was like perfect for me because I'm like, and I don't have to be funny the whole time. And I have this buddy who I just have to make laugh, you know, this audience of one who gets a kick out of me. I mean, Dave's biggest, the nicest thing he does for me is show up and laugh at me once a week and I feel validated, you know?
0: Yeah. right on buddy. Do you want to, uh, I will
1: kill him though at some point. (laughs) That's a weird thing.
0: Do you want to uh, go out with any uh, fears or loves? Did you did you uh, prep, or you want to? Uh, re- I like to freeform them. it. I like to freeform it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's start with some fears. Let's let's go back and forth.
1: Okay. I'm afraid the pills will stop working.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I have that. I have that one too. Um, I'm afraid that. Uh, I'm so much less authentic than I think I am, and everybody else can sense it, but I can't.
1: <laughs> well, that's not real. I fear that uh, the ground that I've made back up with my wife, I'll lose.
0: Uh, I'm afraid that I think that I'm an easy person to be around, um, but I really just don't have any idea how difficult I can be around. That Then I'm on uh, uh, unbearable sometimes and don't really know it. Uh,
1: I have that same fear. Uh, I'm also afraid that my children will die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I'm afraid of my pubic hair turning gray. Uh,
1: I'm afraid people will know I diet.
0: Um, I am afraid that I'm going to be that guy on the hockey team that everybody is goes oh that old fuck showed up now there's no way we're gonna win he's so slow i'm afraid
1: that at one point everyone in my band will go dude you just can't play like this is sweet and thanks for the gloves yeah. thanks for the fingerless gloves bro <laughs> you can't
0: play uh i'm afraid that i am if my podcast gets more popular I'm going to start to have sycophants that tell me things about myself that aren't true. And I'm going to believe them. then all of a sudden one day I'm going to look back and go, Oh my God, I've become this phony fucking intolerable person.
1: I'm afraid that Dave's comedy album will be a massive success and that we will, we will gain an audience of people that only like him. And then I'll have to read shitty fucking ads on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's go to let's go to Loves. Okay.
1: You go first cuz I, I haven't done Loves. Um
0: I love how you are stylish. You make it work and and it's it's just you. It it is it is you. <laughs> it, it's it's like I couldn't I couldn't wear it because I don't have the confidence to to wear style but you wear it with confidence and it looks good on you and and i love i love it whenever i like i see you walking up i always i'm like why can't i dress like that and then and then i think because i don't know how to dress like that (laughs) well you just i just go which t-shirt is it today (laughs) i do like that t-shirt though. do i still i this, like that t-shirt this is the uh shoulder emblem of, of the chicago blackhawks yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. i like that but it's but it's yeah. it's
1: embroidered yeah. on there and it's and, old
0: and i know this sounded like that that was me just blowing smoke up uh no, no no up your ass but um
1: the uh i love i love that we i love that there's podcasting yeah. i i love that there is i mean where what, what the fuck would you and i be doing this afternoon honestly if this thing wasn't around, because on some level this is resurrected out of the out of whatever whatever my career became, this medium saved pieces of it and helped me put it back together. And on some levels, ended up saving my life on a, in a very real way, genuinely. And I think it's such an incredibly cool. I listen, you know, when when I listen to any of our when I see any of our peer group, and everybody knows who they are because they're all the hotshots in this medium. Except Adam Carolla, <laughs> they because he was from radio. They, I'm happy. I'm happy for Mark Marin I'm happy for Jimmy Pardo. I'm happy for younger guys like Pete Holmes. Like genuinely happy that this is a thing that exists that no one can fuck with. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't have to love everyone's podcast to do it. But I just think this is such an incredible medium, and 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 it was needed because the people that listen to these things are not. They are their own breed of fan. They are yeah.
0: not other. Does that make sense? It does. It's it's more democratic than the Constitution to me. It's yeah. so fucking democratic. That's yeah. what I love about podcasting. Yeah. Uh, here's a weird love. I love showing a hockey injury to somebody and having them marvel at how nasty it is. Oh, that's good. Yeah.
1: Why wouldn't you? You want to, you
0: want to see one? Yeah. Why not let's do it. This happened a month ago. I took a slap shot.
1: Oh, I don't God, know if dude. you can see it. Yeah. Right but there. I,
0: you feel that? Feel what did that like, feel, feel like feel when that like happened? The most pain I've ever felt in my life. Oh my God! Did you think it just gone clean through you? Uh, I, I I wasn't sure if it was broken or not, but um, it it hurt. I, I was. It hurt so badly. The only thing I could do was to limp over to the guy that took the shot and elbow him in the face off his skates. Really? Yeah. And and immediately I bent down and helped pick him up and I said I'm sorry I did that your slap shot hurt me so much and and he kind of (laughs) laughed and when I took my shin pad I wish he'd been at the deli with me when I took my shin pad (laughs) off at the at the end of the at the end of the night and these are guys that have been playing hockey for 30 40 years you know and they'll see like you know a guy you know lose a part of his tooth and stuff and they looked at my leg and they were like oh fuck yeah And part of me likes that because it makes me feel it makes me feel tough.
1: No, I split my head open two days after Christmas showing uh, my daughter how to skateboard. I couldn't, I I got thrown off the board so quickly I couldn't put my hands down. I split the top of my head open. What had happened was my daughter wouldn't skateboard in the street, and my wife and I were both like, "Just get!" She was wrapped up like Tony Hawk. She's on the (laughs) sidewalk running into people's ankles. She was, you know, hitting trees (laughs) and stuff. I'm like, "Just come on the street. It's easy. How hard is it?" I push off. The next thing I know, I'm laying on the ground. (laughs) My wife is, my daughter is screaming, true screaming. She's 10. Amira is trying so hard not to laugh. There's a puddle of blood on the ground and mighty. My littlest is going, I also hurt myself. I also, I hurt my finger. I, I also, I also got a skateboard injury and I was like, Oh my God. But I, I got up and I, we went to the hospital together and I got my head glued and the girl stayed at home with my, with Angela who was living at the house and, and my wife and I had the, maybe one of the best afternoons we've ever had. It was so fun. And I felt really like, fuck yeah, look at my head. I cracked it open yes. skateboarding, bitch. At fucking, just, a, just a few months shy of 50, yeah. I was on the deck, took it. in the. I lost. I got in a fight with my street and lost. And I'm totally good with that, bro. If there is a, was a certain pride in that.
0: But yeah. my next love is I love listening to you tell a story. Nobody can tell a story like you, man. Nobody. I love. Uh, I love that we acted together, and
1: even though I've not seen it, that was one of the, that was also one of the best days of last year. Was when you, in that in that, god damn it, that character makes me laugh. The whole that whole with the the the, cuff, the, cuff, the whole thing. The what, what do you call it? Popping candy. Popping candy. God damn it, was that fun? And uh, Janet Varney.
0: Yeah. And Gray Delisle, it, God, it was, was a lot, a lot of, fun. of fun. I don't think that'll ever air. I don't. I don't know. I Let's don't know why. Let's it that...
1: back and put it up somewhere. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I get it back. I'm starting a channel.
1: All right. I'm starting a channel called Sweater Vision, <laughs> and we're doing doc. We're doing pieces of the documentary from the Reigning Monarchs. We're oh, seriously? Up- yeah. And we're doing a. St- why not have your
0: own network? Oh, Are you, well, you so said Sweater Vision. I thought it was a joke.
1: No, Sweater yeah. Vision is what we're calling yeah. it because that's sort of my little moniker thing. But then it will be uh, updates on the Reigning Monarchs. Uh, some walking the room stuff I'm going to do with Dave. Uh, some Astoy merchandise, just the T-shirts and stuff. And I, if you, for some nothing happens with your thing, let's take yeah. it and put it up and pimp it and make a T-shirt and
0: where a, a Stoy, Estoy E S T O Y merchandise is your is your T-shirt and clothing company. Yeah. and where is there a website for it? Uh, it's just Merchandise dot com. Okay,
1: and just go and you'll find it. And uh, it's got all the walking the room, reigning monarchs, and Dave Anthony, and now Greg Proops. You know, we're just taking on people and doing well, I'm, shirts I'm, I'm looking
0: to do some some new and different t-shirts, so we're, I, I, mean, I should we're definitely your, talk. We're, yeah, yeah. You're my You're, bitch. I,
1: I'm your bitch. I love a good t-shirt. Nothing wrong with a t-shirt. Solid
0: one. Um, well, I think that's a, a natural place for, uh, for me yeah. to kick you out my front door.
1: Oh, you got to. I Dude. thought we were very natural.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love you. I love you too, buddy. Thank you so much for... Yeah. Uh, for sharing your life with uh, not only with me but with uh, with listeners. Yeah, I like your listeners; they're good people.
1: Well, there's one guy I don't like that much. Me. <laughs> <laughs> good night, everyone.
0: Yeah, I love that man. Many thanks to Greg Barrett and. Um, I want to say before I take it out with some surveys, I want to remind you that there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can go to the website mentalpod.com and support us financially by making either a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation. You can sign up for as little as five bucks a month. You only have to sign up once, and as long as your credit card doesn't expire, you don't have to do anything. It just takes the money out, and uh, I really appreciate those of you that have signed up to do that because it's uh, getting me closer to my dream of being able to support myself doing this this podcast. You can support us financially by shopping at Amazon through our search portal. It's on our our homepage about uh, halfway down on the right-hand side, and you can also support us by um, going to iTunes is giving us a good rating. That boosts our ranking, brings more people to the show, and you can support us by spreading the word on social media. I want to thank those of you that have stepped up to be transcribers as well. If you want to transcribe an episode, um, shoot me an email at mentalpod at gmail.com, and um, I'll shoot you a I'll just shoot you, shoot you right in the face. I'll uh, shoot you back a document that has some formatting notes on it, and uh, just be forewarned, it takes an average typist about uh, a full day to transcribe an episode. And I know we've got some listeners that have signed up for it and uh, didn't know what they were getting into and are sitting there silently in shame, not doing any transcribing. That's okay. You can't yell at volunteers. Well, you can actually, but it wouldn't be nice. Let's get to some fucking surveys. How about that? As I told you before, I like doing um, a packet of surveys. Um, And this was filled out. This is three surveys filled out by a guy who calls himself J-Dub. And he is um, straight. He's in his 30s. He was raised in an environment that was a little dysfunctional. Um, And this is from the babysitter survey. Um, He says... Uh my babysitter was in high school. I was maybe five, six, or seven. We played doctor and examined each other's genitals uh Did you ever tell anyone? uh He writes no, I didn't tell anyone nor did I think it, nor do I think it has had any effect on me. Uh, remembering these feelings, what feelings come up. He says, I feel nothing about this. Do you feel any damage was done? Later in life, she came out as a lesbian. It was the early 80s, and I think maybe she was experimenting in a very fucked up way to see if she had any desire for males. Um, you know, from my understanding of age, really in, age-inappropriate stuff or just outright molestation is it's really doesn't have anything to do with sex. It's really about um, power and, and control. Um, If you are a parent, has your experience influenced how you view children being babysat? He writes, yes, I worry about my son being babysat. And this is from his Shame and Secrets survey. Um, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. Deepest, darkest thoughts? I think about abusing women, slapping them, choking them, making them cry, making them do sexual acts they hate, peeing on them. I'm also attracted to girls in their young teenage years, 14 to 15 age range. What are your deepest, darkest secrets? I have cheated on my wife and slept with married women. My wife doesn't enjoy sex anymore and has told me that I don't turn her on. I think I have done these things to fill a psychological and physical need. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My fantasies involve forcing women to do things they don't want to do. So technically, it's rape. Holding them down while I ass-fuck them. Slapping them. Coming on their face. Calling them names. Pissing on them. Degrading them to the point of tears. Um, Would you ever consider telling a partner, a close friend? He writes, no, the last time I shared a fantasy with my wife, it wasn't one of the ones I listed above. She got pissed because it wasn't what she wanted to hear. She didn't speak to me for three days. Did these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, anger towards women, my wife specifically. Um, You know, maybe that stuff did affect you because it sounds like there's there's anger there towards women. I mean, I'm going to preface it with what I always say. I'm no psychologist, but I am a pretty good skateboarder. You know, even just to talk about the stuff that's going on with your wife, but there's there are very few people I know that were touched as kids that it didn't affect them but a lot of people um, it takes them a long time because you shove it down so deep to not think about that Um, and this is from his happy moments survey Um, his happy moments are he writes my happiest moment is when I'm playing with my son I feel he is the reason I was placed on this earth it'd be cool if you could feel that way about yourself that's so hard, though. I think when when somebody exploits us, it's so hard for us to feel good about ourselves. Because it's like, well, how can that jive with what happened to me? How could somebody do that to me if I'm worthy and I'm lovable? This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Fat Amy. So you know there's going to be a lot of lovely self-esteem in this one. Um, She's bi. She's in her 20s, was raised in an environment that's pretty dysfunctional. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. I think my grandfather grabbed my breast once, but what was more frightening was when he grabbed my hand and guided it to his shorts. Oh, Jesus. It never made it there because I managed to break free and run away, so nothing really happened, and I'm not sure what would have happened or what his reasoning was. Maybe he just had to use the bathroom. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. He, he couldn't really talk and was mostly infirm. Uh, it could have been a misunderstanding. Oh, I didn't know that he was infirm. Uh, deepest darkest thoughts suicide leaving my boyfriend or cheating on him deepest darkest secrets I kissed my little sister once on the lips while she was asleep I wanted to see what it was like she woke up and was so angry at me that I've been ashamed of it ever since sexual fantasies most powerful to you fantasies where I don't have control and I'm completely destroyed or violated not just rape but snuff cannibalism alien abduction breeding whatever Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? Uh, I have. I'm not ashamed of my fantasies when talking to most people. That's awesome. Uh, Would these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? She writes, mostly frustration because I can't be turned on by normal sex or the act of sex. I have to think about these things to be aroused. Well, I know there's a lot of people that have to think about stuff that brings them shame or they feel as like morally, you know, dicey. And um, so you're not alone. You're not alone in that, about having a fantasy that... That would be really tough to be somebody that has a fantasy about being snuffed out because you could never enjoy your fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I just have waves of self-hatred coming through me right now. This is from the Happy Moment Survey. I'm just going to break it up. A little, little happiness in the midst of the darkness. This was filled out by Tarina. She's uh, in her 40s. And uh, one of her happy moments, I used to live in a little cottage on Lake Michigan that had a small private beach. The first summer there, I was standing down at the water's edge, facing the bluff, waiting for the rest of the group to come down. I sunk my toes into the warm sand, and all at once I felt the wind pick up with all my senses. As the scent of recently mowed grass reached me, I heard the lapping of waves Waves intensify. I watched as the leaves started twirling down from the trees as the breeze cooled the warmth of the sun on my skin. I felt as though time stopped. I embraced the moment of feeling completely alive and was determined to burn it into my memory and have. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Accident Boy. He's in his 30s, Was raised in an, he's straight, was raised in an environment that was pretty dysfunctional. Um, he writes, very stable and norm, quote, normal till I was 13 when my mom had a mental break and was diagnosed as having multiple personality disorder. After that, I was left to raise my mentally handicapped sister as my dad's focus was on keeping my mom alive and keeping us fed. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. My older female cousin touched me and made me touch her. An 18-year-old male teenager tried to force me to have oral sex. Deepest, darkest thoughts. Killing the men and women that sexually and physically abused my mother from the ages of nine months to 18 years old. Make them suffer for making my mom have multiple personality disorder and putting our family through years of hell as a result. Um, deepest darkest secrets I used to self-harm by way of being a daredevil I like the thought of dying while doing one of these stunts so it would be nobody's fault when I would live through it I would get if it I would get attention and that's the only times as a teenager that I felt loved and breaks my heart sexual fantasy is most powerful to you lesbian or solo female sex turns me on Um, Add me to that list. Specifically because of the sexual abuse I suffered from an older teenage male. I cannot watch porn that involves men. The last time I tried to watch straight porn, I cried for an hour. Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend? He writes, I have told my wife and she understands. Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, I definitely don't feel normal because of it. Sometimes it causes me to be depressed. You know, I'd never thought until I read his survey, I'd never thought for the longest time I couldn't look at males in porn either. Um, I really would only watch porn that that just involved women. And it never occurred to me because I was also molested by a a teenage guy and uh, he was a neighbor. And um, it never occurred to me that that might have been why Seeing an erect penis was so. uh, I just always thought because I didn't. I didn't like cock. I learned so much from from reading these. Um, It's amazing the stuff that it brings up. Sometimes this is from the uh, Body Shame Survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Kona Ray. She's in her twenties. What do you like or dislike about your body and why? When I met my worst, I dislike everything about my body. I hate the stretch marks on my thighs, ass, and stomach which I got when I was a preteen. I think they are brutally unsexy. I hate my dry skin in the winter and oily skin in the summer. I hate my big feet, my rough hands, and every hair on my eyebrows. I hate my crooked teeth and my small boobs and my fat midsection. But on the good days, like today, I accept all of those things. And I love the crooked middle toe on my left foot because it's unique. I love the scars I have from various accidents and surgeries because they remind me and others what a survivor I am. I love my dark brown hair and eyes and my smile and my freckles. On the best days, I even love my figure and tell myself that I'm the kind of woman a classical painter would want as a model. Sometimes on the good days, I find myself checking myself out in the mirror and it makes me laugh, but it feels amazing. That's beautiful. This is from the Babysitter Survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself C.J.O. She is straight. She's in her 20s, was raised in an environment that was um, pretty dysfunctional. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse outside of the events? described here, she writes, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. My cousin and I played house one day, and he was grabbing me because, quote, that's what mommies and daddies do, so don't be afraid. But it wasn't abuse. It was innocent play. Um Let's see. He was my sister's boyfriend. He would sometimes come over if everyone was at work uh, to watch me. He was 23 and I was 13. For some reason, um, it didn't affect me at all. I just wanted to sit closer to him and talk to him. I loved when he said my name and it made me jittery inside. I always pretended he was my boyfriend. I always played with his hair or rubbed his back. Um, she. I, gu- I guess nothing happened, but she... She says that uh, I, was baby fat, I was babysat and felt uh, a little something sexual, awkwardness that made me want to be closer to him. It made me uh, want to love him. Um, nothing really happened. One day he held my hand while we were watching a movie, but I don't believe it was to send a sexual vibe at all. It has affected me because I tend to lean towards older guys more than I should to the guys my age um remembering back what feelings come up as i look back on these days it makes me want to tell him how much i care and how much i want him i want to tell him that i long for him to be my babysitter again but this time i pull the move um she doesn't feel that any damage was done well it, it doesn't sound like anything anything happened but um boy do i relate to that feeling i you know i remember being like a 10 or 11 year old kid and just being so in love with the girls that were like four or five years older than me and just a combination of like wanting to see them naked and have them um, care for me that's such a powerful thing and i would imagine for that babysitter if they've been traumatized that has got to be such a tempting tempting thing for for them to take advantage of um, because that kid seems to want to have some type of uh connection not all kids obviously but but those those kids that have that longing in them, that they don't really understand, um, and I think that's why I I hear so often about um, that happen that happening with babysitters. It's why I created the uh, the survey. Um, this is an email I got from a listener named Chad, and I just uh, this just made me smile, so I wanted to read it to you. Um, uh I introduced my loves as a game during family dinner. I was afraid this would turn out awkward and drop off into uncomfortable silence, and it took a little encouragement to get it started. The following day, my boys told me they were looking forward to dinner so they could talk about new things they thought of that they love. This is now a part of our family dinner discussion every night and will likely become a family tradition for generations to come. That made me fucking smile. And I'm going to take it out with a happy moment filled out by a listener named Melissa who is uh, in her thirties and uh, her happy moment. She writes, I love owls more than anything else in the whole wide world, especially baby owls. There's nothing cuter than a tiny puffball with huge eyes. One day my coworker instant messaged me and told me she wasn't coming into work because she found a baby owl in the park. I asked if I could come see it and she said yes. It was everything I had imagined and more. He was so soft to the touch and I rubbed his feathery little head against my cheek. I couldn't believe I was actually holding a real live baby owl. If you held him in your hand and laid him on his back, he'd fall asleep, and his tiny little feet with sharp claws would uncurl. My friend gave me some raw hamburger to feed him, and he very gently ate it from my hand. The best moment was when I tickled his tummy. Yes, I even said tickle. He gasped, looked down, and puffed all the feathers on his chest outward. That had to have been the cutest thing I've ever seen. I was so happy and didn't want that moment to end. I was in a miserable marriage at the time, and for that relatively short moment in time, I was genuinely happy. I actually have pictures of me with the owl, and it's the happiest I've ever seen myself in a picture. Thank you for that, Melissa. And thank you guys for continuing to uh, help me Build this community, and um, yeah, I just feel a lot of gratitude. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, you're not alone. There is hope. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely
1: beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.